Hey, welcome to Win the Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and yes, this is it. The first episode of the podcast for 2022. Good times. I have been on a summer break and it has been hot. Uh, While we sang lovely Christmas carols about being in the snow, we were in very hot sunshine and there have been beaches and rivers and lakes and mountains which have been uh, so much fun and very refreshing to my soul after a very tough 2021. Uh, And so that has been good. Then we arrived home feeling a bit refreshed and enlivened, but uh, the Omicron variant decided to turn up on our shores, didn't it? And so now we're all trying to figure out what that's going to mean for us over the next few months. And then yesterday, our little two or nearly three-year-old now, actually Rufus, he fell off something at daycare and he broke a couple of bones in his arm. So it's a bit sad for him. No more beach for the next four to six weeks. Um, so that was a bit sad. Sad for him and a bit frustrating got very, very upset last night when he didn't really held it together all day. And then uh, we got home and he decided he wanted to, you know, pretend to be animals because he loves doing that. And then he went to snap like a crocodile and he realized he couldn't because one of his arms was broken and in a sling and a cast. And then he got very sad and I think it all hit him at once. So that was, that was hard for little mate. Uh, but really he's, he's doing okay. He's a bit of a trooper. Uh, very, very brave, you know, very brave. So... Um, yeah, so look, had a holiday, it was a good break, but also feels like we're pretty quickly back into the challenging vibes that most of us are pretty familiar with from the last couple of years, actually, and it's a lot, right? So it's a lot to hold, it's a lot to carry still and deal with, uh, and especially over such an extended period of time. So if you feel bad, maybe that you're starting this year without your normal January or February energy, um, here's, your, here's your PSA telling you that it's, it's okay not to feel like you normally do at the beginning of a new year. Just just be a little gentle with yourself in 2022. For in the shift this year, well, you know, again, with, with all of the pandemic life of the last couple of years, it's been quite a disrupted period of time for the podcast too uh, and for the other things that I've wanted to do through in the shift and especially for the for, for my writing, which, you know, writing requir- requires some kind of space in the brain and I've just not had any of that, which, you know, it's kind of funny because lots of people actually said to me when lock- well, lockdown started and everything, they said, oh, this must be such a great time to be doing online stuff. you got all this time at home and everybody else is wanting to engage and listen and looking for more content to consume. Uh, but, <laughs> but life at home uh, with nowhere to go, no one to see and a, and a toddler, is anything but a good time to create and produce a bunch of stuff for, for my brain anyway uh, and for the time that I had. So anyway, I'm hopeful that this year might look a little different as we go along and I'm hopeful, not promising, uh, but I'm hopeful that I'll be able to bring a variety of things your way this year for In The Shift, which I feel really good about at this point in the year. We'll see whether my hopes and dreams uh, crash and burn at the bottom of a cliff or whether they soar on the wind like an eagle or perhaps they'll just sputter along a bit like a an old car. I don't know. <laughs> uh, reminder, you can connect with me via the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and even the, the Twitter machine, uh, or you can go to intheshift.com and you can find me there too. Send me an email. Tell me a story. Tell me how you feel about what you're listening to. Tell me what you'd like to hear, who you'd like to hear on the podcast this year. Tell me anything you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and you may also not know that you can financially support In The Shift by finding me on Patreon. Just go there and search for In The Shift and you should find us there too. Okay, so to today's episode, and look, it's a real banger. I had a conversation this week with Dr. Aubrey Hendricks, discussed his latest book, which is called Christians Against Christianity. Tremendous title. Uh, and Dr. Hendricks is an African-American scholar and activist uh, who's been, you know, working in like activism, social justice, and its intersection with, with scripture and theology uh, for a long time now. We had a really great conversation. It's provocative. It doesn't hold back from saying what needs to be said. Uh, we cover all sorts of ground from capitalism and white supremacy and racism and abortion to homophobia and LGBT inclusion or exclusion. You know, we talk about a bunch of this stuff. Uh, And I think one of the things that really struck me as so interesting during our conversation is is understanding how much of white evangelicalism in the United States. And if if you're not familiar or overly familiar with that term, kind of evangelical, I guess we're sort of talking about, you know, Outside of mainline Protestantism, which you might understand as something like Anglican or Episcopalian or something like that, you have this kind of evangelical world 
um, you know, typified by sort of the Billy Graham evangelicals in the US, very interested in, you know, conversion of souls and the, and the, um, the authority of scripture, uh, kind of personal salvation, quite an individual um, shape to the salvation story. Uh, and a lot of kind of prominent 21st century Christianity in the West is, is from that evangelical world. And obviously in the US in particular, uh, it's been a pretty bizarre space over the last few years, perhaps obviously so. And so one of the things I think, yeah, again, so interesting in this conversation is to, is to see how much or to understand the degree to which white evangelicalism in the US has been intentionally shaped as a movement by some specific agendas relating to race and to racism and also to capitalism. And if you don't you know, live in the US like I don't, um, it's helpful to know because we're kind of often recipients of some of this faith uh, and the impact of it has spread far and wide. The very shape of Christian faith as this personal, individualistic, moralistic kind of get-to-heaven religion is actually deeply connected to the misuse and abuse of power and a desire to maintain the status quo. And so we've got to grapple with this and unpick it uh, and find a different way. So as you listen to this conversation with Dr. Hendricks, I'm sure you'll be able to see and to hear the way that some of this all ties together. So this is episode 53 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. So joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Obery Hendricks. Dr. Hendricks is a lifelong social activist. He's one of the foremost commentators on the intersection of religion and political economy in America and one of the most widely read and influential African-American biblical scholars writing today. His most recent book is titled Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith. So thanks so much for joining me, uh, Dr. Hendricks. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, really looking forward to this. Mm. Thank you. Before we get perhaps into some of the themes from this most recent book uh, and some questions that relate to that, I'd love to ask you about where this journey started for you. You write, I think, very warmly about the religious environment of your childhood. Uh, but I have also noted that you've spoken before about growing up with the bland Jesus of Sunday school, I think is, is, is something you may have said. So what shaped your early Christian life and then how did that faith take a more specific turn to the kind of social activism and, and, and theological intersections now? Yeah, well, thank you. It's uh, a good good question. Yeah, you know, like many uh, children of uh, church-obsessed parents, um, <laughs> You know, it was church was a duty. You know, mm. um, I, I've never been particularly. I, I was not particularly enamored of church uh, at all. Um, what I didn't realize, of course, in my youth is how it was shaping me ethically mm. and, and 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 morally, which is what I reflect on uh, in, the, in the in the introduction to Christians Against Christianity. Um, um, I didn't. <sighs> I did not come from an activist um, background. Our church was not radical or activist at all, but it did foreground love and community. A pastor was, mm. uh, my parents used to say he was one of the world's, you know, worst preachers, but uh, he was a good, <laughs> but that was a good thing because he, um, because he wasn't given to bombast. You know, mm. he wasn't trying to, uh, impress the congregation and have them jumping and shouting. He really was uh, was deeply sincere, and so it, mm. it set a, a, a real moral, loving and moral tone for the congregation. And you know, I spent time at, at, at uh, my, my grandparents' church in Virginia as well, and it was just about love and community. Um, you know, I um, I didn't come to understand the radicality, though, of the well, the social implications of the gospel and the radicality of Jesus, really, till um, I was in seminary mm -hmm. uh, many years later, um, uh, and I didn't understand the radicality of Jesus. But I really, be honest with you, didn't really understand 
what I'd gotten from the church until I was in graduate school. I was in my 30s, you know, and mm. I, I, um, and then I, I, I realized just how important it was. And so, um, but if I didn't understand if before, uh, before, uh, by then, I would have definitely understood when I saw what was happening with these right wing evangelicals because the counterpoint, mm. um, and uh, was was so so obvious, the contrast was so obvious from what I, I'd learned, and so uh, I mean, I hope that it, hope that explains it, yeah. Um, that really has brought me to where I, I am today. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Um, so let's talk perhaps a little bit more about some of the things going on in this in this latest book of yours, then Christians Against Christianity. I love the title. Uh, I think <laughs> it captures so succinctly. I think for me, um, how many people are feeling about this this tension they have of of knowing that there are things about their faith that they have appreciated and valued in their life, and sort of being horrified at the same time about what faith yeah. has turned into in so many ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. what is what has been the, the the primary impetus for for this book for you? You mentioned there it's kind of seeing what's kind of become of these right wing evangelicals in more recent times. Is you know what's what's been the impetus for for this work in particular? Um. Well, I must admit. Well, I, I was asked originally to do a book, um, different kind of book that just um, uh, sort of pointed out that addressed some of the uh, uh, the major theological aspects of uh, of evangelical in, in evangelicalism in general. Mm. Um, but in writing, and I realized that that really wasn't what I wanted to talk about at all because, you know, I was feeling such a great sense of chagrin and outrage and, mm. and sadness from what I saw being um, uh, being t- uh, the, the anti-Christianity I saw taking over the, you know, the country. And I say anti-Christianity is teaching and uh, presenting uh, as Jesus teaches the exact opposite of the gospel of, mm-hmm. of, of love and community. So, yeah, I wrote it out of that. I mean, I wanted to be honest with you. Uh, I wanted to kill everything standing, every, every, uh, all the main outrageous um, untruths and misappropriations of biblical logic and, um, um, and to really, um, I guess, bring to the fore <coughs> and hopefully to raise the consciousness of some of, of many folks that, um, <coughs> pardon me, that um, what they were seeing coming from the religious right, you know, who, who are, are really um, dominating uh, religious discourse in America, mm. certainly in the political terrain, that they were backward, they were bass backward, as we might say, that they were teaching um, destructive stuff that had nothing to do with the gospel. <coughs> and also that people understand that what this is is ideological Christianity. They have to re- reject it if they want to be consistent with the gospel. Mm. <coughs> um, as we as we kind of look at that, you know, what is taking place at the moment and over the last well few years, which which have really been a surfacing of of a much um, sort of deeper and longer problem endemic within evangelical Christianity, I think. Um, and now the merging with conspiracies and QAnon and 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 obviously much more explicitly kind of toxic politics. Um, I think it's easy for people to say, "Oh, this is all just a bit crazy." And I think what's so helpful about your work is to say, "How did we kind of come to this?" You know, uh, and one of the things you mention is is that early kind of revivalist evangelicalism was a bit of a mixed bag, really, in, in North America in the 18th and 19th century. But you suggest it wasn't unavoidably committed to the path it now finds itself on. Um, so, what what do you think has kind of driven it, its trajectory, uh, and in particular that movement away from any kind of social justice concerns and towards something else, whatever it is now? Yeah, that's I like the way you put that. The tra- the uh, trajectory was not preordained. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> pardon. Me. Um, you know, despite its many contradictions. Um, Early evangelicalism up through the uh, uh, much of the 19th century, uh, really early into the early 20th century, um, was pretty progressive and, and humane. You know, the main abolitionists were uh, 
were evangelicals. And, uh, you know, the evangelical movement, as you know, um, bled over into the, uh, the, uh, the institutional church um, movement. And uh, um, um, uh, woman Adams uh, in Chicago, why can't I think of her first name? Um, but, you know, with Hull House and all of that, it was uh, wonderful. Um, the way I understand it, <clears throat> we see um, what eventually became modern evangelicalism really arising um, under the sponsorship of the big capitalists like the DuPont brothers and the American Liberty League, um, their sponsorship of... Uh, evangelical preachers to oppose the progressive um, humane policies of the New Deal mm -hmm. because, um, you know, that, that signaled a whole new, a, a shift in the philosophy of government um, from laissez-faire to, yes, we do have a responsibility to take care of the, of the poor and the least of these. And that put um, <clears throat> the average American um, uh, in, in the focus of governmental um, policy rather than, you know, the desires and the wealth of those who felt, of the rich folk who thought it was their, their privileged right, you know, to, to uh, be served by government. And so they, they brought in um, a number of uh, uh, preachers to, uh, to serve their ends by, by demonizing and trying to portray as anti-Christian uh, the New Deal and uh, capitalism and capitalists as uh, the heroes of, of freedom and Christianity. Mm. And I think it started there. Um, it really took uh, a much, and, and that's when you know, um, this whole notion of socialism became demonized right. um, and seen as anti-Christian when, uh, when, when a mild socialism, like democratic socialism, was much closer to the biblical witness than capitalism ever could be. Mm. Um, but then... I think when uh, we really saw a, 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 a real turn and Randall Balmer, uh, as you know, in his book, Thy Kingdom Come, really documents this when um, right wing evangelicals just uh, got together and uh, they had a conclave and they, they came together to try to decide what kinds of policies could they um, could they proffer to the American public that would help them uh, take over governmental policy and become, and, and their way of, of doing things become ascendant mm. in, um, in, in American politics. And it was then, uh, you know, Bomb, Bomber was in the room and they decided this, they would, they would uh, focus on abortion and they would focus on homosexuality as, as, uh, as wedge issues. But more than that, we really saw them become active um, the real act, uh, the, the, the real oppositional activity began um, in support of Bob Jones University, you know, that rabidly um, racist uh, Christian university, um, the extremist right-wing Christian uh, university in South Carolina, when Jimmy Carter's administration said that, that um, inst educational institutions that practice um, institutional uh, segregation um, would not would no longer be eligible for federal funds, and so you know, um, Wayrich and all these guys they jumped in and made a big deal. Tim LaHaye and all of them, and and they supported um, the right of educational institutions to be racist, and mm. so this movement's roots are in racism, um, because um, Wayrich, who was one of the um, architects of it, and uh, and even Tim LaHaye. Uh, you know, from the uh, that 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 crazy book series, Left of, Behind, uh, is that the one? Left Behind book series, yeah, that's yeah. Um, um, they even admitted that it began their movement began with Bob Jones. It did not begin with uh, with with abortion. Then they shifted to abortion later uh, to um, uh, position it in the preeminent position it holds now in the rhetoric. Of, of that being the most important issue in Christendom mm. in, in America. But they cynically had, um, uh, 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 they cynically had come together and planned and strategized that as the issue they would use 
to take over the discourse. And they've been very successful about it, considering mm. that the Bible never says anywhere that abortion is a sin. I'm not getting into whether it is uh, morally or not, but the Bible never says that. Mm. But they claim that it's a, posi- a Christian position. So in the book, as, as, as you know, yeah. you know, I, I, I show that, um, that um, abortion is, I mean, I mean, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says loving your neighbor as yourself is, mm. is, is, is the main main commandment and also uh, well i'll i'll leave it at that but that's essentially i think the uh the the genesis and the genealogy of how we got to where we've gotten today thank you it's it's so important i think because the context of how you know these ideas i grew up in new zealand a long way from the u.s other side of the world and yet Mm. i'm reading james dobson and Mm. you know (laughs) my family's listening to focus on the family on the radio uh and watching, you know, uh, bad eschatology films. Um, <laughs> so, so we have even here been shaped by this American discourse, and yet I think profoundly unaware of how the version of faith that we have received in that way has been so deeply um, shaped by, by racism, by power, by ideology, by white supremacy, you know. Um, and... And if we sort of fail to see that, you know, over in somewhere like where I live, uh, then we, then we simply adopt this this faith system that's been so shaped by things that are so antithetical to to Christ, right, to Jesus and the Jesus story. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, I think that's that's why um, in the epilogue I talk about a spirit of of, of antichrist because um, <clears throat> spirit of antichrist you're representing. Um, you know, really an anti-Christian um, ideology. Mm. And uh, because it is pervasive. I mean, it's a spirit that's, it's, it's pervaded Christendom, um, at least Western Christendom, you know, and almost like it's um, something metaphysical, mm. you know. Um, but uh, but what, what, it, what is not often dealt with, and, and then we must start to deal with, is that what we're talking about, you're talking about how it pervaded um, even as far as you are on the other side of the world, um, we're really talking about a spirit of, we're really talking about evil and evil intent, misusing mm. the scriptures uh, to serve the interests of, of, a, of a certain group, not caring um, how, they distort, how they distort the gospel and whose lives uh, they destroy. And so I would think that you know, these guys, Dobson's, the right-wing evangelicals in America, you know, if 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 they're influenced as as uh, as wafted that far, then they've hurt some people's lives that far. Mm. Maybe resulted in in in, in folk um folk deaths. I mean, imagine how homosexuals are are being destroyed in the name of the Bible and mm. all of that. Mm. So it's it's a sad thing. Mm. Uh, I grew up in the in the Pentecostal tradition here, which mm. has you know some overlap with kind of evangelicalism, uh, albeit mm-hmm. with a sort of a heightened experientialism, but. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in both of those forms of, of Christian faith, I think um, salvation, faith has largely been reduced down to this personal decision I make to let Jesus into my heart so that I can go to heaven one day instead of going to hell where I really deserve to be. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, it te- and, and that shape means we read the Bible, I think you use the words um, where we stress the spiritual and the supernatural but then the social and the political, all of that stuff is ignored really uh, in, mm. in the biblical narrative and in our the context of mm. our faith. Social justice mm. work, as you've mentioned already, ha- comes to be sort of seen as an evil, as some kind of plan of the devil to rob our Christian nation. Um, mm. But you see social justice as very central to the biblical story, um, yeah. as, as do I. Um, mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. see that as being you know, one of the big, bedrocks of of the Jesus story itself of of Christian faith in the scriptures yeah no question I mean the, yeah and what you allude to is uh John MacArthur's you know uh, had the nerve to write a letter saying uh with 10,000 uh, right-wing evangelical signatories uh saying that social justice is a biblical travesty and uh, you know what called it blasphemy um which shows these guys 
I mean, there's so much that they just don't know what they're talking about, or they do and they don't care to tell the truth. But mm. um, the reason I, I mean, what I what I try to explain is that um, <clears throat> it's very when you look closely, social justice is the foundational um, ethic of uh, of the biblical tradition. Um, and I explain it this way, and I think that it's, and I mean, I, it hasn't, I'm waiting for someone to engage you to try to refute it, but no one has, 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 has uh, had the nerve to try to do that yet, because it's so obvious first that mishpat, or, or, or that we translate as justice, is the ethical term that's used more than anything, any other term in the Bible. You know, it's in every, every division of the Bible. It occurs some 400 times. Um, mishpat, um, you know, just uh, justice as in loving your neighbor as yourself, wanting the same goods and rights and uh, security and resources and uh, and health and well-being as as uh, for for your neighbor and your neighbor's loved ones as you want for yourself. But the second most often used and occurring ethical concept uh, is sadaqah. We translate it as righteousness, but um, you know, with with the connotations of personal piety, but in the biblical tradition, it's it's not it's I mean it's not libertarian individualistic. It has to do with with communities about doing right, acting righteously, doing justice in um, in society. When you and but um, not only that, those two concepts, mishpat and sadaqah, the most off occurring pairing of ethical concepts uh, concepts in the Bible. You put them together, justice and doing justice in society, that's social justice. That's mm. doing social justice. That is the most. Uh, and, and so it's I think it's unassailable that that is underpinning of the whole biblical tradition. And when you really go back and look at it, it makes plenty of of sense. Yeah. Um, but as you said very well, that militates against those who, who want the conservatives who want to conserve you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> unjust status quo. Um, they don't want Christians to understand that Matthew 25, 31, 46 is Jesus, the foremost form of judgment, divine judgment uh, that Jesus gives us. It's, you know, as you have not done it to the least of these, as you have not tried to feed and clothe and do right by those in need, then you have not done it to me, says the Lord our God. And it says, and and for you, you go off into hell. But but the righteous ones, or translated correctly, you say, but the just ones go into eternal life. And so I tried to explain that because mm. um, that's a whole nother thing, and that that speaks to the um, the biblical emphasis on the common good, on community, and not on individualism. And so mm. salvation and deliverance, we know. <clears throat> Those concepts come from the period of the Exodus onward. But as you know, also, brother, those days, they did not believe in an afterlife. And so if they were talking about deliverance and salvation, they're talking about in this world. Mm. And when you look at the gospel, Jesus is is essentially talking about the same thing. Um, And so that's that's what I I I I I I argue and argue very strongly. And I think that Mm. that's unassailable and that if we would start taking that into account, um, our Christianity, um, our Christian practice would have a, a, a much more healthy, life-giving um, tone and dimension than the, the death-dealing theology that the right wing offers. Yeah, it, it, this all speaks to how <laughs> when we define the terms so badly, um, whether that's, as you say, on purpose or by mistake, um, something like righteousness or self, you know, we define righteousness as, well, as, as a, you know, for me and much of my life, it was um, not swearing, uh, <laughs> not drinking <laughs> yeah. uh, and having my prayer time in the morning. You know, that was what it meant to be righteous. It was personal piety. And when salvation is getting to heaven one day by praying this prayer, then when we read those yeah. texts, we just misread them all the time. <laughs> And, you yeah, know, I think yes, your work is, yes. is so important here in helping us to see what's really being said here in these in these texts and stories. And it is kind of, once you see it, it's obvious. Uh, yeah. You know, but yeah, when you've been it, shaped by a, by a way that doesn't want to see it, then then you're kind of blind. Yeah, yeah. 
No, you're right. And I was I was helped by that by scholars like Richard Horsley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, his work is just that does not get the attention these days that it that it that it deserves. And uh, but I also want to mention that you know uh, another example is in I think Luke two with Simeon in the temple, right, sitting in the temple. He's waiting for the salvation, the consolation, not of himself. He's praying day and day and night. Not Lord, please take care of me. He's praying for the whole community, for the consolation of Israel, mm. right? Um, for the whole people. And so that's so very important to know that it is about uh, the biblical uh, witness is about the common good, about um, mm. just not me and you, but about our, all of our neighbors. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what right-wing Christianity gets wrong. That's where it's libertarianism. It's, you know, it's emphasis on freedom and liberty, which is really freedom from responsibility from others mm. that makes the uh, the good Samaritan in their eyes is a chump, you know. Right. Um, yeah. right? <laughs> that's the difference there. And so it is obvious once your eyes, and once, once it was, my eyes were open, I'm like, God, like you just said, oh my God, man, mm. how do we get this so wrong? It's so obvious. Yeah, I remember sitting in some of my first theology classes um, and having grown up in the church and been in the church and I was in a mega, mega Pentecostal, you know, thing, uh, prosperity and all of that. And then I was sitting in a theology class being like, wait, no one's told me that before. (laughs) Oh, well, if that's the case, you know, it was just this kind of uh, light bulb moment. Um, One of the things, one of the other things you say in the book, which I, Again, I found you kind of captured in such a, um, a turn of phrase something that, that a lot of people have wrestled with. You said, in the entirety of the Gospels, Jesus says virtually nothing about what to believe. Um, and and that kind of struck me as well, you know, because it's so antithetical to contemporary evangelicalism, which is, and, and, and in fact, to large swaths of Christianity, where believing the right things has come to be what it means to be. Christian, um, why do you think we've we've gathered this intense focus on believing these very specific propositions when Jesus actually seems so disinterested in that? Yeah, well, I think we can trace it back to uh, the reign of Emperor Constantine in Rome, Mm -hmm. right? He he declared himself the thirteenth apostle appointed by God, which meant that no one could uh, question him, and he sponsored uh, uh, he sponsored you know, the, the various uh, convenings and con- convocations where they came together to decide what would be orthodoxy, right? Mm. And it was at that point where they spent so much time figuring out what what should be orthodox doctrine and all that. It's It was at that point where the faith of the oppressed that Jesus taught became um, the religion of the oppressor. Mm. And, um, and since that time, confession has been, you know, um, has been sort of the mainstream, doctrinal correctness and all that. And that really hasn't changed since that. And mm. it's no coincidence that Christianity has, uh, and since that time, a uh, mainstream Christianity has um, has mostly been uh, hand in glove with, uh, with reigning powers um, and, and, and the powers that be, because it was, <clears throat> because, um, Focusing on belief rather on ethical action, um, you know, does not um, disturb or challenge the, the, the status quo, mm, right? Yeah. And so to this day, I've even had students ask me, um, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted your heart as your Lord and Savior? I'm like, it's none of your business. It has, that's not, belief is not the point. The point is, how are you living? Mm. You know, I mean, do you really accept what it means to love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, to want justice for your neighbor. That's the measure, you know. And so if I might just share this, my um, um, principal doctoral advisor at Princeton University in graduate school was um, uh, John Gager, who was an uh, early important, well, an important scholar, uh, a Pauline scholar, who brought the notion of cognitive dissonance into uh biblical studies, um, and he got death threats for it. But um, John was one of the most loving persons. He was supportive of every humane policy and social activist policy 
Um, he even went to jail as a freedom rider and spent time in Parchment Farm, that horror house in, uh, in Mississippi. And um, because he was a freedom rider, I found out John was an atheist. And I'm like, all right. Oh, that's right. Mahatma Gandhi was not a Christian either. He never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, except through their activity, mm. the way they lived. And so that was like, oh, my God. That's just, I, I can't turn a blind eye to that. So I judge people by <clears throat> their adherence. In the book, I, I, I offer as the core of gospel, loving your neighbor as yourself. And as you have not done it to the least of these, you've done it to, you haven't done it to me. As you have done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And, I, I, you know, I, I think, again, that's just unassailable. I don't mm. see how anyone can get around that. That's the gospel. That's the biblical witness. This, um, this sense of, like, tracing from Constantine forward and becoming the religion of the oppressor is... Um, is that tied then to why, say, say like the white evangelical tradition in the US is is markedly different, it seems, from like the black evangelical tradition, it seems. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about the, maybe the distinctions between those two? Uh, because in somewhere like New Zealand, we haven't had such, um, we haven't had that history of, we've got our own issues of racial injustice and white supremacy in New Zealand, but mm. the Jim Crow, the segregation um, mm -hmm. was not the same here. Um, so yeah, how do you yeah. how do you see that feeding into the shape of those two those two traditions? That's a very good, very good point. Well, I think there are two ways to look at it. One is um, in terms of discourse analysis. Um, uh, white Christianity, America uh, in general, um, has uh, <clears throat> has always had. Um, an opposition uh, oppressive stratum, you know, um, uh, you know, with racism and, and, and Jim Crow and the exclusionary stuff that they were about. Um, and also they represented the uh, um, a discourse of domination, you know, from above. Um, uh, black Christian Christianity, Afro Christianity, um, was in the, the, the resistance stratum, mm. you know, was you know, to resist that kind of oppression. And so it's, it's never um, had um, um, a, a, a main, I mean, there are, I mean, there's homophobia in the black church and, and all that, but there's never been a uh, <clears throat> pronounced stratum of, of opposition or, or, or oppression mm. Um uh, at all, so that's 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 the difference, uh, vast difference, you know, and that's why I wrote in the introduction. I I I, I stress um, how um, Afro Christianity has been has really been about about love and building up folk, you know, um, as uh, you know, and and maybe that's circumstantial because it's you know it's trying to resist the dehumanization, mm. um, but nonetheless, um, that's that's the difference. Um, and, you know, mainstream Christianity in America, which we call white uh, Christianity, has never really, you know, focused on love as much as it has focused on, um, uh, focused on, um, on being, on knuckling under to the dictates and the doctrine dictates of, of, of white, Christ, white Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really never been about freedom. Um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's been about, um, about being consistent with what one is told and, and taught. Mm. Uh, and that's the, the, same, uh, the same today. They will, they'll challenge anything. I mean, I've been called antichrist and everything. They challenge anything that questions their right to decide what Christianity is mm. and how people should be should be treated. And that's why they can hold, um, you know, the walking uh, embodiment of the seven deadly sins. Donald Trump uh, lift him up as a deeply religious guy. Some, as you know, even called him a messiah. Um, some have said there should be a book of Trump in the Bible. 
Why? Because it's ideological Christianity. It's about what serves their interests. Mm. And that was different than than, um, Black Christianity, which really was about um, an ethical and a moral witness. Mm. Mm. Um, I... I wanted to ask a question about the the Apostle Paul for a moment because you you engage with some of his writings in, in your book. And, and I know some people feel like, um, well, Jesus seems interesting and provocative and caring for the poor and, you know, the mm. marginalized and so on. But then they read Paul and they're like, well, he doesn't seem to talk about the kingdom of God. He sounds like he's probably more interested in, you know, personal salvation or believing the right things. Um and, you know, evangelicalism probably has taken a very sort of poor reading of something like Romans and made that the basis of, of the structure of their faith. Um, so is, is, this a, is this bad engagement with Paul that they're doing there? Do you, or is that a fair reading? of what, How do you reconcile Paul with Jesus? Yeah. Well, part of it is, I mean, Paul is not always consistent with Jesus. That's, that's for sure. Mm. But, I mean, in his authentic letters like Romans, 1 Corinthians, he's... Uh, He's much more uh, consistent than he appears in the deuteral, you know, the um, letters written by others in his name, like Ephesians and Colossians. And the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, really have very little to do with Jesus. But what's misunderstood about um, Paul is that, <clears throat> you know, his his, apoc- his apocalyptic view of the world. You know, he starts out in this early letter saying the world's going to end soon. Mm. And so when he tells folk not to worry about their standing in the political economy, even if they're slaves, he's not saying it's right. He's saying, you know, (coughs) focus on preparing yourself for the coming of of Jesus and that will free you from all of this, right? Mm. Um, And so, uh, you know, folk misunderstand. They feel like, you know, he's saying that, uh, that, uh, you know, that slavery and patriarch is correct and all that. Then we look at him in Romans, is that 10 or 13, where he says uh, to um, to accept the, the powers that be as from God. 13, yeah. um, you know, he's really, I mean, what it points out is most folk, most Christians have no sense of contextualizing um, the scriptural writings. I mean, Paul's talking at a time when, when Christians are... Um, are really marginalized and, and, and in trouble. And um, he's trying to keep that Roman community from being, <clears throat> from being, um, uh, well, becoming outlaws mm. and becoming murdered by saying, look, you know, relax, don't, don't be too radical here. You know, um, you know d- deal with community matters. Don't stand up in the midst of empire and and commit um, commit suicide, you know. Um, mm. in, um, essentially, I mean, because Jesus hanging on the cross, tortured to death, wouldn't say like, "Well, you know, Caesar's power is from God," you know. Don't challenge, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's that kind of thing, you know. And, and, and so and, and so um, the belief that that Paul um, that Paul supports the marginalization of uh, of and, and the oppression of certain segments of the community is just a, a terrible reading of Paul and it's conflating letters like first ten, second Timothy um, with with earlier readings of uh, writings of Paul um, when it's clear when you look at them and with and, and their claims clearly that they are much later than Paul and they're in a whole nother kind of social setting right um, but also Paul when Paul talks Paul doesn't understand the kingdom of God, like Jesus does. Mm. Paul talks about it in, in, in moral terms, and Jesus is, is talking about it in, in social and, and political and economic terms, relational terms among, mm. uh, among humanity. Also, remember, Paul said when you know, Jesus appeared to him, he didn't talk to the apostles, uh, I mean, the disciples who knew Jesus. He went off into the desert. You know, Paul reflects almost no um, knowledge of Jesus and his teachings in his letters, uh, almost none. Only one or two places do he does he even seem to be quoting something that Jesus said. So, as I've said in in, in various classes of seminary, we should 
let, lay Paul aside for a moment, maybe a year, and, and focus on the Gospels, and then come back to Paul. Because right now, uh, what we do is understand Jesus through Paul. Mm. And that's why when you look at the most influential figures in history, Paul is always above Jesus. Mm. Um, right? And, and so that's, that's the problem. Uh, the problem with Paul. Also, Paul makes salvation um, individualistic. You know, Jesus never doesn't. Jesus doesn't make it individualism. Uh, in the individualistic. Um, it's not always clear either that Jesus sees himself um, as a, as a sacrifice or an atoning um, presence. It's not. It's not all, always. Clear, like for instance, Luke sees Jesus' death as an unjust death, not mm. an atoning death, right? So we, so the point is, we need to get back to, to what the Gospels say, and and uh, and and uh, and also we need to point out the contradictions between Jesus and uh, and, and and Paul. Mm. Um, um, one other thing with regard to patriarchy, women, as you know, Romans, like the end of Romans, Paul talks about women as being his co-workers. He talks about women. He calls them by name. He's much, and in First Corinthians, he says, he talks about men's rights, and then he talks about women's rights, like in the seventh chapter, having the same consistent rights. And that's consistent with Jesus, who, who, who addressed men and women um, uh, on, on, equal, on equal terms. So there's a lot there that we have to really interrogate and teach, teach for. Um, it's it's kind of connected to this idea if, if you think about kind of Jesus without the Gospels, right? <laughs> um, which mm. is kind of bizarre, but it seems like what we've sort of ended up with. Uh, you talk about the Jesus personality cult, I think. Um, yeah. Jesus, you know, and 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 I resonate with that feeling because of Jesus' name kind of being lit up in fireworks, um, <laughs> but yeah. sort of nothing he ever said or did ever being talked about. Um, all that really mattered about Jesus was that he died and as a sacrifice, and, yeah. and the rest yeah. of, um, you know, sort of. And I think I think a lot about like contemporary worship music in evangelical churches, you know, very high rate of references to Jesus, um, but very low rate of referring to anything he said or did, other than other than dying really and, and rising. Um, exactly, and they and that's why folk forget Jesus never said to worship him. He said to follow him, worship mm. God. And um, he talks about, um, uh, he portrays himself as, 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 as um, when he talks about oneness with God, he's, he's talking about, he's eliding his own personality into and, and God. He's not holding himself up. Um, for uh, to be the important guy, he said. When you see, you see, you know, see me, you, you see God. He said, "I'm trying to be consistent with 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 the teachings. Don't worship me. Worship God. Follow my teachings. You know, uh, my teachings and and my model." But you're right. That is not what we have. When Jesus' name, people even say that citing Jesus' name is a is a magical mm. uh, formula. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, this Jesus, and that's not, and we don't get any sense of that from from Jesus' own teachings. Yeah, growing up as a Pentecostal, that was that was always the magic deal. Put Jesus yeah. in there, and it uh, guarantees a wee answer. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, um, and that you know takes you into the the faith movement and and all of that kind of stuff as well, which has been so deeply shaped. Uh, by that way of thinking, um, I wanted to ask. You've mentioned homophobia a, a few times in in the church, uh, mm-hmm. and and we're looking at how all of this intersects with ethics and and social ethics and social justice and and love of neighbour being so central to um, the Jesus narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and you make a case in the book for inclusion and affirmation of LGBT folk in the church. Um, why do you think? Um, it seems like evangelicals have a particular um, problem with this. Uh, it seems like this has become almost the new one of the new litmus tests. You know, abortion has been one of those, and now um, 
affirming LGBT folk has become another. Like if you'd start to go down that line, then you're no longer a, a Christian. What, what's the obsession, if you like, with, with the sex conversation sexuality for evangelicals, do you think? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I devote a lot of time in Christians Against Christianity dealing with that. Um, you know, I think that what we what we're seeing is, uh, I mean, it's a very widespread misunderstanding throughout Christendom um, that um, takes certain cultural notions about uh, same gender intimacy and conflates them with with the Bible. Um, uh, because in you know in a number of of, of cultures um, uh, homosexuality uh, you know was 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 demonized. I mean you know early um, Hebrew experience. Um, but 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 when it comes to the Bible, <clears throat> the Bible is very in the final analysis is very ambiguous about whether homosexuality is a sin when you look at it in context. For instance. In in the the books of Moses, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you know, Moses gives a lot of instructions. His concern is to um, shape uh, Hebrew religion, uh, to give it boundaries, um, so that particularly when the folk get into into to Canaan, uh, to keep them from from um, bleeding over into uh, Canaanite religion, which was uh, which was much uh, more doctrinally clear, you know, much more organized, right? And uh, with regard to all their rituals and this and that. Mm. So Moses says things like, uh, "If you don't, um, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you'll be killed." You know, um, all these things to, to scare people to keep them uh, in line. And and so one thing I point out uh, when he talks about uh, homosexuality being a sin, men lying with men is a sin. Um, you know, um, when you look at it in the Hebrew, he's, he's essentially saying a couple things. He's, he says men shouldn't cross-dress like women, and men shouldn't lie with women. But but in the Hebrew, it says um, um, you should not be holy ones. And he's talking about do not get involved with the uh, what they call the um, temple prostitution cult. I don't know what I'd call that, but the temple prostitution cult in Canaanite temples in which men... Um, uh, served a uh, female deity. You know, they dressed like women. Um, they uh, took on the architectures of women. Some of them even uh, had themselves ca- castrated. Um, you know, um, and, and so when you look at that, it's like, wait a minute. It's it's he's like with everything else he's talking about. He's 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 addressing the Hebrew people at that time to try to keep them as uh, to develop the, the the religion of Yahweh. Um, and he's not speaking to the whole world, right? Mm. And that's also a very primitive way of looking at things. And also in the in, in the Old Testament, it never talks about lesbianism, and it only mentions it mentions um, bestiality more than it does homosexuality, right? Um, so it's not really that that major deal. Then when you look at Paul, you look at his writings; it's really not clear when you look at it in context and you translate it. Mm. It's really not clear what Paul is talking about in the final analysis. But but even if you don't look at all those technical things, Jesus says to love one another. He, you know, he just says, "Love one another." I mean, don't demonize one another. And it's like if two people. If two men or two women are attracted to one another and they want to consecrate their relate their relationship um, to God, well, what the hell's the problem with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do, and there's so much involved. I mean, they don't. There was no clear understanding of um, of sexuality um, or sexual identity, and and uh, up even through Paul. Mm. So. Um, you know, and then Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't about homosexuality. It was about gang rape and inhospitality. And Ezekiel says that, and it says, and even Jesus um, alludes to that in in Mark. So, uh, so you know, this this whole it goes back again. This obsession with homosexuality. Um, you know, the church has always had problems with it, but the obsession with it really didn't start until those. Um, 
the right wing evangelicals got together to strategize with mm. what are we going to use as a wedge uh, issue to help us gain ideological supremacy in, in America. Mm. So it's, it's a result of, of, of cynicism and, and a lack of love. I mean, they, you're, going to use, you're going to use the demonization of, of, of millions of God's children and, you know, uh, and, and say things that result in their death, their discrimination and all of that in order to serve your ends to dominate society. Man, that's that's demonic. Mm. Um, and we need to really start calling evil and, and, and the demonic what it is. And that's demonic um, by any measure in, in my uh, way I look at it, because when you hurt innocent people to serve your own ends just because you can. That's evil. Mm. And that's what their their rhetoric uh, around um, same gender intimacy, no matter how sincere it is. um, That's what their their rhetoric is is doing and what it is. Mm. Well said. Uh, I want to perhaps return and and maybe we'll kind of we'll start to bring the conversation toward a close here. Uh, I want to return to something you mentioned that, uh, about uh, post the New Deal in in the US, this um, pretty cynical play by rich folk uh, to co-opt, uh, not the first time it's to be done, of course, but to co-opt Christianity to sponsor preachers in a certain version of, of Christian gospel. Um You know, it seemed one of the things you talk about um, specifically is the intersection of kind of capitalism and Western economic neoliberalism with kind of modern Christianity and modern evangelicalism in particular. Um, how how much of a problem is this in your mind? This um, conflation of capitalism and Christianity in in the modern church. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's 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 very. Uh problematic in that um, capitalism um, is not about the common good. Um, it does not place the, the welfare of people. It does not foreground the welfare of people. It foregrounds profits, right? So people um, are, are, are really just um, cogs in a wheel. They're just... Um, uh, they're not subjects; they're objects to use to uh, for for their ends. Um, and uh, there's no concern for the common good in in capitalism um, at all. Um, in fact, capitalism under capitalism, um, you know, uh, sociopathic uh, sensibilities. Fine, you know, no responsibility for what you do. It doesn't matter as long as you serve yourself. Um, <clears throat> and it's, and in that sense, it's it's anti-biblical. I mean, capitalism is also idolatrous in that uh, capital um, becomes the main focus um, of 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 everything. It's like it's like it's like a god, and um, uh, and and it. It flies in the face of loving your neighbor as yourself. Capitalism says that, you know, um, it's about individualism, getting yours, and it doesn't matter um, what happens to your neighbor. I mean, there is more. there are some forms of responsible capitalism, but they don't go but so far, mm. right? Um, and... Uh, and they, and then we have Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Doesn't care, doesn't, capitalism doesn't care about people um, being hungry, being displaced. In fact, it thrives on, uh, on an underclass that is desperate enough um, to, <clears throat> to, you know, to be wage workers um, uh, for, for those in, in, in power. Mm-hmm. Um, capitalism is not democratic at all. Um, the Bible, of course, is theocratic, but there's a there's a a, a democratic um, underpinning there when it talks about everybody having the same should have the same rights uh, to justice and to have a say so what happens in their lives. So capitalism is 
is um, very, very deleterious uh, to humanity, and it flies in the face of of the biblical witness, which is about always about <clears throat> folk becoming saved and delivered through uh, as part of the common good. Mm. The, the community being served, capitalism cares nothing about community. In fact, it thrives on the destruction of community because um, a unified community is not a good thing for capitalism. Look at the way they treat unions, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, so perhaps as a final question then in light of all that we've been talking about here, if we think about the term salvation, which is a big deal for for many Christians, that's that's the clincher term. That's what it's all about. How would you describe salvation? Mm-hmm. Well, um, salvation, uh, as we we know, um, originally was about uh, deliverance from an unjust. Um, from injustice in the world, unjust mm. social order, um, an unjust political economy, and on, on, on down the line. I see salvation much the way that Simeon does in Luke. Um, salvation is for the community, and as Jesus talked about, um, deliverance of, of the community. Now that means that folk within the community. If we have a, if we have a, if we have a community that's based on biblical witness the primary biblical, the foundational uh, biblical witness, uh, social justice. That means that um, uh, what salvation would mean is that, that everyone has, a, has the same access to the good things of life. Everyone has, will have the same access to the, to the, the things that give us the kind of, of, of life with abundance on earth that we are supposed to have. And then through that, um, and a uh, community based on, on that kind of teaching and, and, and morality, folk can grow morally and uh, can grow in God consciousness um, in community. Mm. Um, and that's how I, I see salvation. I see it a, a function of, uh, of, 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 of healthy um, biblical ethics based communities and and society i don't approach it like a, it's an individualistic thing that i can go off and and work out my own individual my own individual salvation and and not be concerned about society that that can't be salvation because that is not consistent with jesus teachings but you know that's i'm that miss you know misreading of paul where paul seems clearly does seem to be saying that um but he does talk about community much too. So, so anyway, that's 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 my view. It's 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 through society. It's through a holistic society. It's through the teachings, and uh, as practiced in the world, we have to remember that the only evidence of loving God is our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the degree to which we try to love our neighbors as as our, ourselves. So, salvation has to be how we live in in in, in the world that will deliver mm-hmm. us. I mean, how we live in community um, that will deliver us um, to a higher God consciousness and hopefully a oneness with God. But that's like high cotton, man. You know, that's a, that's that's. But I think that's part of the problem. There's not. Paul talks about all this in Second Corinthians when he talks about going through the third to the third heaven. That's one of the important things about Paul because what Paul's trying to teach. And his um, seeming to always be a scold is he's trying to help people to 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 drop the kinds of activities in in in, uh, in community that stand in the way of their achieving a higher God consciousness. That's why he says, you know, be like me. I drop this. I drop that. I, I you know I I I I tried to overcome this, and I was able to to grow into a higher God consciousness. You know, so in that sense, he was a mystic. Mm. And that's really, really, really missed. But I will say that um, Croissant and Borg's book, uh, The First Paul, which I recommend to everybody, um, really helps 
uh, to get a, a much more in-depth uh, understanding of Paul. And it's such a good little read, man. Um, it's called The First Paul by Crossan, C-R-O-S-S-A-N, and Borg, B-O-R-G. Mm. It's wonderful. Uh, mm. Thank you so much. And I'm uh, going to put a link to your book, Christians Against Christianity, in the show notes for this episode. Is there, is there a place people can go to follow your work, Dr. Hendricks? Yes. Um, my website is... OberyHendricksPhD.com, O-B as in best, O-B-E-R-Y-H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S, Ph.D., it's all one word, at, uh, I'm, I'm .com rather, OberyHendricksPhD.com. Mm-hmm. Great. We'll direct people there. And thank you so much for your time and thank your you. generosity and your willingness to share uh, what I think is um, vital um, things that we must grasp in this time. So thank you. Oh, thank you for your very incisive, um, challenging questions, really. I, 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 and this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate uh, your, your time. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Dr. Oberry Hendricks. We really got into so much stuff there, and I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to talk with him. So thanks again to Oberry. Thanks to you for listening along, because without you, what would I be doing? I'd just be screaming into the void. So much love to you in the shifters. Could we call you that? Sure, why not? Uh, thanks, as always, to Reese Michelle for his manipulation of the sound waves of this podcast so that when they hit your ears, they sound good. Until next time.